Here, in the shadow of the Empire State Building, death and the graveyard are final. It is such a positive end that we use it as a measure of nothingness and eternity. We have the quick and the dead, but in Haiti, there is the quick, the dead, and then there are zombies. This is the way zombies are spoken of. They are bodies without souls, the living dead. Once, they were dead, and after that they were called back to life again. No one can stay in Haiti long without hearing zombies mentioned in one way or another. And the fear of this thing and all that it means seeps over the country like a current of cold air. What is the truth, and nothing else but the truth, about zombies? I do not know. But I know that I saw the broken remnant relic or, or refuse of Felicia Felix Mentor in a hospital yard. I know that there are zombies in Haiti. People have been called back from the dead. That was a quote from the anthropological field research of early 20th century writer and intellectual Zora Neale Hurston. Welcome to the Anthro Girl podcast. Today's episode is about zombies. Do you have a favorite zombie movie? Maybe George Romero's groundbreaking Night of the Living Dead, or his follow-up Dawn of the Dead voted best zombie movie for 45 years. Shaun of the Dead manages to be hilarious and deliver the jump scares. But my number one pick might be 28 Days Later, because it's both terrifying and touching. Yeon Sang-ho's thrilling Train to Busan is a very close second. But maybe you prefer your zombies on the small screen, like the millions of fans who made Walking Dead a hit for 11 seasons. Bottom line, zombies can take their place beside vampires and werewolves in the lexicon of pop culture monsters. You may be wondering, what relevance has this to anthropology? To address that, let's take a closer look at Zora Neale Hurston. She's perhaps best known for her classic novel, Their Eyes Were Watching God, written during the Harlem Renaissance, for which she is considered a driving force. Hurston famously held weekly salons for novelists, artists, and poets in her Harlem apartment, and collaborated with Langston Hughes on the publication of a literary journal. All told, she published four novels and more than 50 short stories. And that's how we think of her, as a writer of fiction and essays. Less well-known is the fact that Hurston was also a groundbreaking female anthropologist, with a PhD from Columbia University. She did her undergraduate work at Barnard, where she was the only African-American student, and where she met Franz Boas, the father of cultural anthropology. Boas persuaded Hurston to get a PhD at Columbia. There, she studied and worked with fellow Boas protege and future anthro icon, Margaret Mead. Then, as now, field research was required to earn a doctorate. Mead went to Samoa, eventually writing the controversial Coming of Age in Samoa, a book many credit with triggering the sexual revolution of the 60s. Hurston did her fieldwork in Haiti and Jamaica, funded by a prestigious Guggenheim Fellowship, to, quote, study magical practices of the West Indies. Afterwards, she published her fieldwork under the title Tell My Horse. Interesting side note, in voodoo ceremonies, the horse is a person temporarily possessed or ridden by a loa or spirit. The horse chants Parler au Cheval, inviting other participants to make their requests or to say their prayers to the loa that they are channeling. Boaz himself wrote the foreword to Tell My Horse, praising the quote, great merit of Miss Hurston's work and her success, 
quote, in gaining the confidence of the voodoo doctors. And here is where we circle back to zombies. In the publication of her field research, Hurston documents the disturbing experience of seeing and photographing an actual zombie. Here's how she wrote about it after returning to Harlem. I said to the doctor that I had permission to take some pictures, and he helped me go about it. I took her first in the position she assumed herself whenever left alone, that is, cringing against the wall with cloth hiding her face and head. Then, in other positions, finally, the doctor forcibly uncovered her and held her so I could take her face. And the sight was dreadful. The blank face with the dead eyes. The eyelids were white all around the eyes as if they had been burned with acid. The sight of this wreckage was too much to endure for long. Who was this zombie in the courtyard? Her biography was well known and Hurston recorded it in her field notes. Felicia Felix Mentor and her husband had owned a small grocery store in the town of Ennery. She had one child, a boy. In 1907, she fell suddenly ill, died, and was buried. Years went by, her husband remarried and got a better job. Her son grew up. Life went on and she was seemingly forgotten. 29 years later, Police got a report of a naked woman wandering on a road. She later turned up on a farm where she told tenants that she used to live there. They tried to drive her away, but she wouldn't leave, and finally, the boss was sent for. He was Felix Mentor's brother, and he recognized his sister right away, though he swore she died and was buried decades ago. Her husband was then contacted and at first refused to cooperate with the authorities. He had a new wife and a new life and wanted nothing to do with a zombie. But he was forced to cooperate and finally identified the woman as his former wife. Before Hurston encountered a real zombie, she had recorded witness testimony about them, spoken in frightened whispers. There was the young man, well-educated but rather spoiled, who got a girl in trouble and refused to accept responsibility. The girl's family then appealed to the young man's mother, but she also refused them. Two weeks later, the young man died suddenly. About a month after his burial, his grieving mother spotted him, laboring with other silent workers, loading sacks of coffee onto ox carts. Though she ran up to him screaming his name, he stared back at her silently, with no sign of recognition. The foreman chased her away, and when she returned with help, there was no sign of her son, and the foreman denied knowing anyone matching his description. The heartbroken mother haunted the spot where she had seen her son until the day she died. A white Protestant missionary in Port-au-Prince told Hurston about a young man, one of his church members, who dropped dead at a dance. The missionary himself conducted the funeral service, saw the young man entombed and the tomb closed. Some weeks later, another white missionary told Hurston's informant that he had seen the young man in jail. Of course, he protested, but the other insisted, so the dead man's former pastor went to the jail, where he found the young man crouching like some wild beast in one of the cells. Hurston also collected information about what she called the most famous zombie case of all Haiti. In the fall of 1909, Marie a beautiful young daughter of an important family, died and was buried. Five years went by when a group of girls from the same school Marie attended went for a walk with a nun who taught there. Passing a house, one of the girls began screaming that she had seen Marie through a window. 
Although the nun tried to convince her she was mistaken, the news went viral, and the dead girl's father was urged to get the police involved and search the house. Inexplicably, he refused, until the pressure of public opinion forced him. But by that time, the house was empty. The occupants vanished without a trace. Public opinion turned against the father, then his brother, and extended to her godfather. The police finally opened Marie's grave, where they found a huge skeleton beside the coffin, far too big to have ever fit in it. The clothes Marie had been buried in were neatly folded. It was widely believed that the house where Marie had been seen belonged to the Bokor or voodoo witch who had zombified her. When this Bokor died, his wife wanted nothing to do with his zombie slaves, so she turned them over to the church, and that's when Marie was seen by her former classmates. Shortly after, dressed as a nun, Marie was smuggled into a French convent, where her brother later found her. Hurston called it the most notorious case in all Haiti. Hurston's informants detailed their folk beliefs about why zombies were created. Sometimes a plantation owner needed laborers, so he paid the Bokor to turn the recently dead into beasts of burden. People are also zombified purely for revenge. Still others are offered to the Bokor by a relative as payment for answered prayer. These informants also shared popular beliefs about how zombies are created. At midnight, the Bokor mounts his horse, facing backwards, and rides to the target's house. There, he puts his lips to the crack in the door and sucks out the victim's soul, then gallops away with it. Soon, the victim dies and is buried while the Bokor watches in secret. At midnight, he returns for his victim, marching him to his voodoo temple. They pass his house, and this walk totally erases his past life from his mind. Now the target is a zombie, one of the walking dead. To protect their dead from zombification, family members would take turns watching the cemetery for 36 hours. Revival is impossible after that. Some cut the bodies open, Others pay doctors to inject poison into the corpse's heart. Embalming, which would protect corpses from being revived, isn't practiced in Haiti. After meeting Felix's mentor in the hospital courtyard, Hurston was determined to find out the reality behind the myths. It's one thing to collect folk beliefs, but quite another to bump up against the real thing. And Hurston was a fearless investigator. But very quickly, Hurston found herself warned off. As she wrote about it, a young woman who was on friendly terms with me said, You know, you should not go around alone picking acquaintances. You are liable to get involved in something that is not good. You must have someone guide you. The warning was amplified when Hurston met a hugan or voodoo priest who invited her to live in his compound in order to learn everything she could about zombies. In her words, I told a very intelligent young Haitian woman that I was going to the mountains shortly to study voodoo practices. After I had spoken, she sat very still for a while, and then she asked me if I knew the man well that I was going to study with. I said, no, not very well, but I had reports from many directions that he was powerful. She was very slow about talking, but she said that I was not to go about trusting myself to people that I knew nothing about. All was not gold that glittered. I must make no contacts, nor must I go anywhere to stay, unless I let my friends advise me. She was as solemn and specific about the warning as she was vague about what I was to fear. 
how was Hurston going to find the truth about zombies? The legends were as fantastic as the zombie in the courtyard was real. Then one of Felix Mentor's doctors, an eminent physician, shared a theory with her. He spoke of a secret drug derived from plants brought to Haiti from Africa, which destroys the part of the brain that governs speech and willpower. The victims can move and act, but cannot think. The formula for this drug is kept secret and passed down from generation to generation, and no threat of imprisonment or death has ever been able to uncover it. The drugged victim looks dead and is buried. When the Bokor disinters him, the victim's brain has been unalterably damaged, incapable of processing thought and barely able to speak. When Hurston told the doctor her intention to find a Bokor informant, the doctor went quiet for a few minutes. When he spoke again, he whispered a warning. As Hurston records it, Perhaps I would find myself involved in something so terrible, something from which I could not extricate myself alive, and that I would curse the day I had entered upon my search. Did Hurston heed the warning? It would seem so. She ends the chapter on zombies with the tale of a mother who sacrificed the souls of two young girls, turning them into zombies so that her own daughters would find good husbands. But it's clearly a story, not a verified event. In her autobiographical Dust Tracks on a Road, Hurston lets us in on how she felt about meeting Felix Mentor. Of my research in the British West Indies and Haiti, My greatest thrill was coming face to face with a zombie and photographing her. This act never happened before in the history of man. It was a tremendous thrill, though utterly macabre. Zora Neale Hurston was a groundbreaking thinker, anthropologist, and writer. She paved roads never before trod by a woman, let alone a woman of color. It seems important to end this episode with the facts of Hurston's life. She died in 1960, in poverty and obscurity, all of her brilliant writing out of print. Her legacy was saved out of obscurity by novelist Alice Walker and a Hurston scholar, Charlotte D. Hunt. They found an unmarked grave in the general area where Hurston had been buried and claimed it as hers, commissioning a headstone with the words, Zora Neale Hurston, a genius of the South, novelist, folklorist, anthropologist. Thanks for listening. I'm Emily Pick, and I voice the Anthro Girl. This podcast was created and produced by me, our screenwriter, Edith Swenson, and our anthropologist, Dr. S.B. Swenson. You can check the show notes for a bibliography on today's episode. And we would be deeply grateful if you would support this show by leaving us a review.